1: You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's
2: happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson along with Adam Gervetta on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We will have Josh Briscoe join the show to talk some Chiefs coming up. At 4.40, Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks, joins us in about 35 minutes from right now. And we've got some Bill Self press conference audio to share with you today as well. We're out early today. Adam's going to be out a little earlier than I am, but you'll still hear his uh, sultry, smooth voice on the airwaves. Uh, 5.15 or 5.20-ish, we're going to be out here on RCST to move over for pregame coverage of Lawrence High. They're going to be on the airwaves tonight. Lawrence High girls taking on Mill Valley at 5.30. The boys game will be a little bit after that. Again, you can hear the Lawrence High game at Mill Valley on KLWN and KLWN.com. You know what else you can hear on the airwaves? Tomorrow, KU taking on West Virginia. 1 o'clock pregame at 11.30. KU taking on the Mountaineers. We should have
0: have somebody come on to maybe talk Roy and preview that game. Mm,
2: Maybe we'll do that with Brian Haney. Oh, he's a good one. West Virginia is... Like, this is just every team in the Big 12. I I don't know what to say. Kansas is, like, the one team that is different than this. I guess Baylor's a little different because Baylor is just, like, elite at both ends. But, like, every team in the Big 12, it's like, well, their offense leaves a little something to be desired, but their defense, look out. Like, Kansas and Baylor are the only teams in the Big 12 who have top 35 offenses in the country. But here are the defensive rankings. Baylor ninth, Tech 4th, Texas 8th. West Virginia 20th, Iowa State 5th, Oklahoma State 14th, Kansas State 35th, Oklahoma 38th. Every team except for TCU is in the top 40, and TCU is 42nd on defense. So this is just every team. But I, I say it again, as I've said at every Big 12 game, yet another team that has a really good defense and leaves something to be desired on the offensive end of the court. Yeah, if you look at their Ken Palm
0: rankings in defense and in offense, they're, they're worse than on, if I if I read it right, they're better at offense than Tech and Iowa State by rankings, but they're slightly worse on defense. They're like 88th nationally on offense, uh, which is considerably better than Iowa State, who is like 140th or 120th or something. And then they're worse. They drop off from, what did you say Iowa State was defensively? 14th. And then they, West Virginia's 20th. So
2: mm-hmm. this is still a team that could pester you defensively. Yeah, and... You know, I, I haven't watched much, if, if any, of West Virginia this year Um, to tell you if they're running press. But uh, we know that this is a team that was doing the press Virginia thing for a while and they would speed you up. They they put you into situations. I don't know if they're doing exactly that or if they're just ball pressuring like full court man to man sort of thing, just getting up into you at, at different points. But the end of the day, they're they're getting back to that because the last couple of years they've kind of gotten away from that. They've been more of an offensive team. They had Miles McBride, who was really good, first round pick and and just big shot maker for that team. They didn't press, and again, I don't know if they press this year, but they force a lot of turnovers. They are ninth in the country in forcing turnovers. They are twenty sixth in steal rate, and that goes a little bit counter to something that KU has struggled with of late. Um The three worst games for KU by turnover rate have literally come over the last three games. And KU in the non-con was a a good team at avoiding turnovers. It was a calling card, even against teams who had good turnover rates defensively. Like They didn't play a ton of them, but St. John's was an example. They didn't have a high turnover number. They're on the season, though. It's slowly dipping. It's slowly falling. Um, And in conference games only, they're turning the ball over Basically, one out of every four possessions, 25% of the time. Uh, I think a big chunk of that you can attribute to the fact that Remy Martin has been injured. That gets rid of one of your better ball handlers on the court. Makes it a little more difficult there. But you should still have the horses to not be that bad with turnover rate. Dewan Harris is supposed to be a trusty point guard. You're supposed to have guys like Christian Brown and Jalen Wilson who are forwards who can bring the ball up. Um I think this game, because Bill Self said his as presser, and again, we'll share that for you in a little. Joe Yesifu didn't play last game, and, and you might wonder, well, you would think Remy Martin's out. Man, Joe Yesifu still couldn't play? Well, turns out Joe Yesifu rolled his ankle, and he sounds like he is going to be okay to play in this West Virginia game. I think you're going to get a pretty big dose of... Assuming that Remy Martin's going to be out for this game, which that sounds like the the comment from Bill Self saying, you know, uh, he's day to day. He's maybe even week to week. It sounds like to me Remy Martin is going to be out on Saturday. So I'm expecting obviously a lot of Dewan Harris. I'm expecting a pretty heavy dose of the combination of Bobby Pettiford and uh, Joe Yesifu. We're going to get a chance to find out
1: how
0: right we are because we, we've both on and off the air been very high on Bobby Pettiford. Um, and look, he may make a few mistakes. That doesn't mean he won't turn out to have a really good career at KU, but he's going to be thrown to the fire tomorrow. Um, no matter, really, no matter if Virginia presses or not, because even in the years where they don't press, they still play a defensive style that annoys you over the course of a game because it's basically like, look, you're not going to, you know, you can't, if you're the referee, you can't possibly call a foul every possession. It just wouldn't realistically ever happen. And so that's kind of what Bob Huggins does. And I don't mean they play, they don't play dirty or anything like that. Like they don't try to hurt you, but they do a lot of things that you could realistically call a foul on a lot of their possessions. But the refs just won't do it because they don't want to keep calling fouls right. again and again and again. So it's kind of like the style that, again, it's not a dirty style, it's just a super aggressive style that kind of dares the ref and says, I don't think you're going to call a foul on us every single trip down the floor, and eventually we're going to get our steals and we're going to annoy them. And and what kind of concerns me is you look at that Oklahoma State game, KU actually avoided the turnovers a lot until the end. Now, it didn't matter as much because the game was basically sealed by then. Um, At no point late when all those crazy turnovers with the Oklahoma State press were happening was I ever really... Believing that Oklahoma State was going to come back because it was it was somewhere between twelve and fifteen points at that point, so I didn't think that Oklahoma State would make a comeback. But if that if that score is six instead of fifteen, and even you know even if you've you've avoid uh, avoided turnovers all game, and then all of a sudden it's it's starting to wear on you. You are starting to get annoyed. You are tired because you've been going up in, against an aggressive defense all night all, all night, um, or in the case of tomorrow, all afternoon. Like. It's it's not, you know, don't sit back if, if through 20 minutes of play and if through 25, maybe even 30 minutes of play, KU has done well handling the ball. They're not out of the woods because they, they, it takes a lot of energy from you to go to to perform against
2: that defense, even if they're not pressing. Yeah, and and that's, you know, for Dewan Harris, like you're going to have to exert a lot of energy just breaking the press, which again goes in line. You're going to need – big chunks of time played by Joe Yesfu and, and Bobby Pettiford in this game had another ball handler on the floor to, and, to take some pressure. And Harris just played 37 minutes, didn't exactly. he? Exactly. So, um... That's going to be very interesting because we haven't seen those guys always play. Uh, West Virginia has not been a good defensive rebounding team. That is the one difference of this team with some of those other ones. You think to some of the the big lurking big men that they've had, Oscar Sheway, who's now at Kentucky and is a legit National Player of the Year candidate, uh, Derek Culver in years past, um, uh, who was uh, Kanate, Sagaba Kanate, the big shot-blocking big man for them. Like They've had lurking big men. They, they don't really do that as well this year. Um They're 323rd in defensive rebounding, so not good there. Now, KU has been one of the worst teams in Big 12 play. Actually, they are worst. In Big 12 play, their defensive rebounding rate has not been good, so this could be a a big offensive rebound game for both teams. Um, But the thing that the West Virginia, this is more of the style of what you're used to with some of those press Virginia years where it's like yeah, they're a lot better defensively than offensively. They don't shoot well. Like they're 246 in the country in three point rate. They're in the 300s in free throw percentage. But similar to some of those teams, when you had like a Javon Carter or a Jay Sean Page or something, mm-hmm. they at least had like one or two guys on offense who could carry a team. And. If they go off that day, it makes their offense a lot better. It, it's very similar to Iowa State, what I was saying there, which Iowa State is a good defense. You know that's going to be a constant. Same for West Virginia. And you just hope that it's not one of those games where the other guy, like an Isaiah Brockton goes for 30 points. And they have two of those guys that can go off. And that, that's one of the things I always look at when you're, you're looking at, can this team hang in Allen Fieldhouse? Can this team possibly pull an upset in Allen Fieldhouse? Because you're going to need guys to make big shots late. Iowa State didn't end up winning that game, but they got damn near close. And Isaiah Brockington hit, I think he hit his last four shots, and pretty much all of them were contested like step-back jumpers. They were tough shots. Uh, you think back to like A.C. Law. Like, yeah. He's a tough shot maker. You know, Kevin Durant, they didn't end up winning that game, but a tough shot maker that almost could have won that game. He rolls his ankle. Brandon Rush gets on him defensively, all that stuff. You have to hit big shots. And Taz Sherman has been so good this year for West Virginia. After they lost Miles McBride, you didn't know who was going to step up into that position. Um, Well, Taz Sherman this year has just been constantly scoring in double figures. I mean, he's scored in double figures every game this year. He's put up over 20 points five different times, and he's put up 27 points, I think, three different times this season, or four different times. He had another one with 28. Like, he is a legit shot maker. And then you have Sean McNeil. And a lot of people will remember Sean McNeil because he's the guy last year who actually wasn't shooting very well from three and then came into Allen Fieldhouse and I think he went five for five or six for six, um in just one half from three, including he like banked one in or something like that. Um he ended up with twenty four points in that game on six of ten from three. And uh he, he was kind of up and down, but he finished the season strong. And he has come into this year and really bottled up what he did in that half and turned that into who he is. He's shooting over 40% from three. He's been another guy who, you know, he'll put up 20 points. He has, uh, I think, two 20-point games this year every game except for one in double digits. So that's, that's what would scare me about this game, even though West Virginia doesn't have – the best offense overall, they do have the ability with those two guys to, if they keep it close with the defense, they can hit those kind of game-breaking shots at the end.
0: I'm thinking back to the, the Jayhawks' offense against the West Virginia defense. I think a, a very important player from a scoring standpoint is Christian Brown. We know he can score, and we know he can light up the box score in other ways too, but he hasn't scored at the level that we became accustomed to early in the season. Like he's no longer the last. Well, not you know. I don't want to say no longer. The last two games, I'll say. Yeah. He's not mimicking Ochai's point total like he was for a long time, or at least within one or two points of Ochai. Um, and I'm tra- And I'm thinking back when KU ended their streak of losing in Morgantown, it was with Devonte and Malik Newman and Svi and a really good shooting team. And they all, you know, there's an old adage that there's no defense for a good shot. And so if, if Kansas can get themselves in a position where they're fast enough to, to get open shots and then have players willing to take open shots, um, then that could help them, uh, not just in terms of obviously scoring, but also not having to spend, um, you know, 32 seconds every trip down the floor banging with a really tough defense. Like, if you can get some early good good looks early and get them to go, um, that could do a lot for you, not just in the
2: realm of scoring, but also when it comes to potential fatigue late in the game. Yeah, by the so I'm looking at Christian Brown's splits, what you brought up. He averaged 21 points per game in December. He's down to 13 in the four games in January. He's only shooting 37% from the field. Now, how about this? This is just kind of weird as I'm looking at these splits. It's only two losses, so there's a very small sample size. In the two losses for KU this year, Christian Brown hasn't hit a 3 in the in the 13 wins he's 37% from 3 so he he clearly has a big impact on the game for KU but you're right with the the ball pressure um and it's not just can you get early good looks it's also can you avoid being sped up because sometimes we see with the the ball pressure and the pressing and stuff it'll speed you up and you feel like you have to take this quick shot and you're you're just hurry 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 and it's not it's not like in, in rhythm or anything like that. And, yeah. it, and it ends up causing kind of issues that way. It's when those moments aren't there to get the quick shot. Can you have enough patience to to sit back and then run through the offense from there? I think the biggest key in the game we're going to look up because KU on Ken Palm is projected to win this thing by 11. I would imagine the point spread will be somewhere between 8 and 12 points. It's usually pretty close to Ken Palm. Um, right now, I would be leaning to taking West Virginia with the spread because of the fact I do like their two big shot makers. I like their defense, and I, I like the fact that they do something well that Kansas has been struggling at without uh, Remy Martin right now. Um, so I would take them with the spread. I think it's going to end up being a close game, but I think I like KU to win overall, and the biggest key will be can you avoid a disastrous game with those turnovers.
0: Yeah, and it, yeah, and, and regarding that 11 points, I think we, we talked a lot about this in, in our picks for football, but... How if you think a a point if you think a game will be a low scoring game, uh, and it is a high point spread, then you probably should pick the underdog with the points, because you know the, the lower scoring it is, you know let's say it's ten points. Let's say the spread's ten points. Ken Palm has it at eleven. Let's say it may, Vegas has it at ten. The lower scoring the game is, the higher percentage of the total points ten points is. So if it's if it, if it's a game played in the 60s and it's 100 and I don't know let's say 130 points, then you know 10 points becomes a larger percentage than a game played in the 80s.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, that's a good point. Uh, okay, so we'll have our game picks. We won't pick this game because it's just not available. But we are going to get to our Rock Shock Pickahawk next with Adam Brevet, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Shock Sports Talk on KLWN KLWN.com. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is KLWN, KLWN.com of the KU game tomorrow at one o'clock, pregame at 11.30. We got the KU Women's Basketball game with Baylor on Sunday here on KLWN. And then tonight we got High School Hoops with Lawrence High taking on Mill Valley, Adam Dravetta on the call with Craig Hersheiser for that one. Um we're gonna get to Rock Chalk Pickahawk here in a second. We'll also have Brian Haney. The voice of the Jayhawks coming on in 15 minutes. Josh Briscoe will talk Chiefs with us coming up at 440. So I am 4-2 on the year now in Rock Chalk Pickahawk. You have won two of the last three. Have we decided point differential yet, though? Because I kicked your ass in the two that I won. I'll have to go back and listen to some of the past segments, um, and we'll figure that out. But I, I do think you're probably ahead in point differential. But, hey. I, uh, it's good. Re- record's what two. matters. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so you will have the first pick for this week. I had it last or last game. I took Christian Brown first. Ochai ended up with more points, and, and everything we brought up at the beginning He said, well, Christian hasn't been putting up as much as Ochai lately. So you now have the tough decision. Of yeah. Pick number one. Um, I'm going to stick with old reliable and say
0: Christian Brown. I think there's a chance for a lot of rebounds here for him. He may not. He may only still score in the thirteen to fourteen point range, but I think there's a shot for him to really pull down some boards. So I'll go Ochai number two. Clearly, um, hmm. I think Ochai listens, and this is why he's been playing so well lately. <laughs> they he keep picking the re- me number two. <laughs> yeah.
2: No, I mean he he just he's such a pro scoring the basketball. It's just it really is. the difference is Christian's just putting up more of the filler stats that that impact this more. Mm. So this next pick is the hard one, though. So I'm under the assumption that Remy Martin's not going to play and he might. He hasn't been ruled out. I'd be shocked. Well,
0: yeah, it's just pretty, I'd be pretty
2: surprised. If he I played. would, too, because the comment, like I said, saying, you know, he's day to day, he's week to week. He didn't practice yesterday. I don't know if he did or not today, but. Mm, that kind of tells me I'm I'm not expecting him to practice. And we talked.
0: Um, was it who did we have on this week that talked about how? Oh, it was, um, Swain. I think someone we had on this week talked about self and the decisions he makes because he's so competitive and so badly wants to win every game. You you wonder if if Remy not and I look. I I don't think self would ever sacrifice a player's long term health. But I'm saying if he is cleared. Versus, like, yes, he can play, but it might be a good idea to rest him. I think he might lean toward playing because he really wants to win every game.
2: Yeah, of course. I, You have that really tough stretch coming up. I uh, I just think he's not going to play. I don't know. Let's I just agree. I agree it. completely. So I, I'm not going to If you Remy. want this,
0: I, just for the sake of a gentleman's, uh, you know, being open
2: about this game, I'm not going to pick Remy. Okay. So I'll just tell you that right now. Well, um... He was the last pick last time, so yeah, neither of us are going to pick him. Uh, okay, Zach Clements is sounds like he's out for the game as well. I don't think he was going to get picked anyway. He wouldn't even be in discussion for the third pick. Uh, okay, so Dewan Harris, he's going to be a starter. That's the thing. It's it's Oshai, Christian Brown, Dewan Harris, we know for sure starters. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, we don't know who the other starters are going to be. Is it going to be... Um, Imagine you know Jalen Wilson. I I think it is, but I don't know that for sure. Is it going to be KJ Adams again? And then I don't from know. and and not just starters, but minutes, middle, minute 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 play the most minutes, yeah. right? Or is it going to be Dave this game? Yeah. I, I don't know. Bill Self said at the presser today, he said, uh, David McCormick played like an all league player yesterday at practice, but it was just one practice. The so, man wants his twenty and twelve. Is he trending up? I I don't know. I'm going to go to Juan Harris. He's just the safe pick here. Like I said, and, and without Remy Martin." He played. You said thirty-seven minutes last game. I think that's right. He's going to play a lot of minutes. He's going to be on the court. Chance for a lot of steals, a lot of assists. Not necessarily going to rack up the most points, but if you're out there thirty-seven minutes, you're still probably going to rack up, you know, four to eight points or something like they
0: that. They have a they have a rotation that play that runs about. They run they have a set that they run about four or five times a game that is designed to get him an open look in the corner. Or designed to get somebody an open look in the corner. And about three or four times a game he's that guy. So if that continues So I'll go to
2: one two or three.
0: Um, I'm gonna go I'll I'll say McCormick. I'm gonna keep playing the rebounds game. Um Though I you know, so and and I don't want Dewan like I would I would gladly take a loss in this if it means Dewan Harris has like nine assists and no turnovers. Gladly. Um but I will take um I do worry about missed shots with Dave, but I will take David McCormick for the purpose of rebounds. And you know what? I'm gonna think he he maybe found something even though he wasn't good last game. I'm gonna take Jalen Wilson.
2: Okay. I mean you should be able to bottle up most of the rebounds with those two guys. Yeah. Okay, so I have my last two picks. Uh, who's on the board? We still got Mitch Lightfoot on the board. We got, we got KJ the Adams the on Opera. the board. See, this is more interesting now that Bobby Pettiford's back, too, because we have like more guys where we were stuck for a little for a few weeks where it was just like they're the only guys, guys in whatever order we took. Them. Yeah, and now we have real options. Jalen Coleman lands. He got his eye hurt, but it was an eye scratch. I'd imagine he's going to be fine. Um mm. see I think that the play for you is maybe getting Jalen Coleman lands because as we talked about earlier this week, he's almost like the handcuff to Jalen Wilson. It's like if one plays bad, the other plays more. It's a but good point. I could snake that if I wanted to. Steal but him. I could also go with the other two centers. Because I even if David McCormick is good David McCormick, what's the max he's playing? Twenty minutes? 25? Yeah, I mean so you you yeah, so I mean and and when you know Clements isn't
0: playing, you could assume I just that KJ and Mitch the, yeah. will combine for more minutes than David McCormick.
2: But is that worth it taking two guys to secure basically one role? Hmm. So I'm going to actually go with that same idea of the centers. And maybe this is a dumb idea because the centers get rebounds and that that leads to more points and efficiency, but I'm going to do it with the guards. I'm going to do it with Joe Yesifu and Bobby Pettiford. So I'm going to double down to on the Gobble two up assists there. or what? I guess so. I mean, I have all of the lead guards unless the, Remy Martin plays. Joe Yesifu, and who was the other one you I've just Joe picked? Yesifu, Bobby Pettiford, and then the round T- before I took Juan Harris. So I will get all the assists. I will get all of the lead guard minutes, which, if you're playing against a team who presses a lot, a team who forces a lot of turnovers a lot, against you who have struggled with turnovers the immediate thought to me is hey let's get more ball handling on the floor yeah and if that's the case i think for a majority of the game or at least a good portion of the game you're gonna see two of these lead ball handlers on the floor at the same time one thing that it would have behooved us to look up
0: would be how how is west virginia at not turning the ball over because that could give you an opportunity and how many of their turnovers are forced versus unforced my point is, you could have an opportunity for some steals. Well, that's something else. I mean, nobody's, nobody's getting like ten,
2: but yeah, so they're. I mean, they're 134th in getting the ball taken from. That. So they're just like they're fifth in the Big Twelve. So they're, like mid, they're middle right, of the mid, pack, right in the middle of the pack. Not bad at it. But nationally and Big Twelve. Yeah, but could be a big steal game for Dewan Harris. I don't know. So um, I have, I, just, I I like having all three of those guys knowing that if there's going to be a lot of two guard lineups, two of them are going to be on the court at a lot of times. That just gives you a lot of minutes. That that's kind of what I'm going for there. So I have two more picks, right? And then you just have one. You have Christian, Dave, and Jalen, and then I have. Oh yeah, we pick four players, don't we? No,
0: yeah, we pick four players. Uh, Jalen Coleman lands. I, I'm gonna hope that he comes in as a sniper, cans a few threes. They they run maybe a weave pattern to get some good looks. Um, they use the three to have to stay away from the interior if they're getting bit a lot. So, yeah, Jalen Coleman
2: lands. This is interesting because we have literally the guy who started at center last game and the guy who led the team in center minutes and played 20 minutes. Neither of them have been chosen. Do you one you want of them to, won't be picked. Do you want to extend this specific Rock, Chalk, Pick a Hawk to five each? Because we clearly can do it. One of us, you have the choice whether you'd want Mitch or KJ. Then I'd get the other. Um, we'll leave that up we'll to you.
0: Continue the serpentine. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll take Mitch. Okay. And then you'll take KJ. So we'll do five. This yeah, time.
2: I was probably most leaning on trying to get you to do that just because I I wanted KJ Adams on my roster. He's a winner. All yours. Winner. By the way, I uh, would not mind seeing my team as an actual five on the court at once tomorrow. Or yeah, having DeJuan, Bobby, Joe, and then Ochai at the four, KJ at the five. Just give me two minutes, two minutes of it. Going to if, if really if, switchable team. If
0: that is a if that is a lineup you see a lot of, it's it's going to mean that no, there's I a, a blowout one direction yeah. or no, the no, other. No, no,
2: don't want that a lot. I just want to see it for like two minutes, like late in the half. West Virginia puts out a bunch of guys who shoot threes in your really switchable defense. All right, that is a uh, a rock truck pick a hawk for the West Virginia game with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Truck Sports Talk on KLWN. KLWN.com. Depend on it. Joined now by the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Adam Dravetta, Derek Johnson. Uh, So, Brian, Roy Williams came into town on Tuesday night, and we did get to reminisce a little bit. um, But I I was curious from your angle, because you started up this very show, Rock Chalk Sports Talk, 20 years ago and that was at the outset of the Roy Williams era at KU. So do you have a favorite memory or favorite show, maybe favorite uh, interview opportunity, something like that, in regards to the kind of end of the Roy Williams era at KU?
1: You know, it, it's none of the above, but it's a funny exchange. I was younger than you uh, doing my first year doing the show, and Brett Ballard, you know, his former walk-on player that then that was on staff for a little bit under Bill Self, was doing the show and, uh, you know, you might recall Brett finished up in 2012, the season where we went 16 and 0. And then, uh, for the 20, I'm sorry, t- 2002. Sorry, I misspoke. 2002 is when he finished up. And, uh, then in the 2002, 2003 season, he was working on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. And I'll never forget, uh, one night Coach Williams was leaving the field house. And I don't know how often he tuned in. I don't know, you know, how long he listened when he did. But with Brett now on the show, I guess we had a little more credibility. And uh, I can't remember specifically what we were talking about, but he had some feedback about, uh, you know, the interview and and how much basketball we were talking relative to other sports. Because on his drive while going to his coach's show, which I think was at Pizzeria Uno back in the day. We, we might have been talking about something that was off-topic. It certainly wasn't critical or anything negative. But but we weren't talking enough hoops, and I remember uh, he called his SID, and we got a, a call at six oh two as soon as we got off the air, and I was so blown away because I was probably you know twenty two years old barely, and boy Williams is actively listening to our show. Oh my gosh, you know, and and he wasn't trying to meddle too much, but he had some thoughts on, on maybe a little bit more basketball coverage and that kind of thing. And so I, I remember thinking, man, not that we've reached the big time or anything, but. Man, folks on the hill really are listening. We gotta really, uh, you know, make sure we deliver. And, and sure enough, we did. Twenty years later, uh, the baton's been passed to great hands, in, in you guys. And uh, so proud of what the show's become over the last two decades.
0: All right. Well, just to cover our bases, Coach Self, if you're listening, you look great today, <laughs> uh, and I hope you have a wonderful weekend. <laughs> I remember, there you, go. you, you
2: go. know, kind of the opposite of this story. I remember one time. Uh, I don't know, a few years ago, me and Nick were having a conversation. We, we mentioned something silly before one of the games, and then it ended up like happening in the game. And we joked around on the show. We were like, well, I, I guess we better uh, come up with some more good ideas for Bill Self to steal them from us. And obviously, clearly joking. And, and somebody called into the station and was like, you're an idiot if you think... Bill Self, listen to this. So I, I was just, uh, that's kind of funny the other way around there. Um, but anyway, we're talking with the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney here. Uh, so do you remember then as well with Roy leaving to North Carolina and there being the coaching search? Like I, I could only imagine how much content that kind of created for you guys in even just directly, like who's going to be the next coach and, and breaking that down. Uh, do you remember vividly like Bill Self being the guy in that coaching search and kind of take us through that, that whole, uh, I guess, situation when you were doing the show and uh, Bill Self was coming in to be the new guy for Roy.
1: Yeah, he was the clear cut favorite. And I remember reading an article that a uh, Illinois beat writer had written about Self away from the, the coaching realm, just as an individual. And he talked about how this particular writer's mother was was battling a terminal illness. And Self had gone out of his way to visit her in person in the hospital and speak to her about how much he respected her son and what a great job she had done with him. And I remember reading that and thinking, wow, what an amazing guy. And on top of that, he's kicking butt on the hardwood. It would be so great if we got to cover him. And and I was so thrilled when he was the name that, that Kansas ultimately announced. But, you know, specific to when Roy left, it, it's probably one of the most – Memorable moments in Rock Chalk Sports Talk history on our airwaves because in all the hustle and bustle of that decision and him picking Carolina and having to say his goodbyes to his current team and hop on a plane to go back to Chapel Hill and address the media, there hadn't been time for him to call his recruits that had signed to come play at Kansas. And it was an unfortunate timing situation, and I certainly don't blame Coach Williams at all. Uh, with everything he was juggling, but it, it was one of those deals This is before text messaging was super popular as, as like the common mode of communicating with guys. And uh, and so the word had gotten out that he had accepted the job at North Carolina, and it was our top story on Rock Chalk Sports Talk on a day when Omar Wilkes, a Kansas signee, was slated to come on and update us on how his senior season of high school was going and all that. And uh, Omar was one of the most impressively well-spoken and insightful interviews I've ever done with a high school kid. And so we've had him on numerous times, just loving to talk ball with the kid. And he comes on, and, you know, this is the number one story on ESPN.com. I had assumed there had been contact made with Omar, and uh, and he was well aware of, of, you know, the news that had broken in the last 45 minutes prior to the interview that Roy was leaving. And so the first question was, you know, and this was back, uh, you know, at a time of, we had a producer. We weren't screening the calls ourselves. It was the producer of the a kid up. and so He just patched him on in the middle of a segment. I'm like, Omar, uh, obviously earth shattering news uh, out of Lawrence and Chapel Hill today. Coach Williams is, is on the go uh, to UNC. What's your reaction? And it was dead air for about six seconds. And and then I oh, he started no. to kind of mutter something. And, and I realized that, that he had not yet been informed, and Coach hadn't had a chance to reach out, and he hadn't seen the news. Maybe he was just getting out of class, and after all, he's in the Western time zone, Pacific time zone, and uh, and so I said, you know what, folks? We're going to take a commercial break, and we'll be right back. And so we went to break. I then got on the phone with him and had a chance to talk to him off the air. And uh, he was such a classy kid. And I said, listen, you don't have to say one more word. You don't need to come on. Obviously, you you were taken by surprise with this. He said, no. He's like, I want to come on. I want to tell Jayhawk Nation that I'm still coming to Kansas. And uh, and so – we got him on the air, and and you know the, the way all that went down was was obviously uh, a surprise. But, but I think uh, in the in the eyes and ears of our audience, we, we gained a lot of respect that day with the fan base for uh, you know, going off air for a second and and giving him the chance to, to bow out if he wanted to. But he was just sheer class, and I know that. Coach Williams eventually had a chance to call all those guys later that night, but it was just such a hustle and bustle thing. But when I think back to to that moment, uh, that day that he left, that's probably one of my top five most memorable interviews ever uh, in 10 years of doing Rock Shock Sports Talk just because of Omar's reaction to that and and the priority it was for him to still want to come on and assure Kansas fans that he was still coming, which is pretty stinking cool out of a 17- or an 18-year-old kid. But I'll give you one last Coach Williams story, uh, and this this one goes back to the previous uh, will he stay or will he go. Because, by the way, I love Coach Williams, and I'm so grateful for what he did for his university and the legacy he carved out, not just with the winning his program of the 1990s, the four Final Fours, and, and nearly nearly a national championship in his final game as a Kansas coach, but for the, the molder of young men and the great ambassador he was for the program on top of that, and the love that the fan base had for him, the outpouring of support the first time around when uh, Coach Guthridge was was retiring and, and North Carolina came calling, and it was a seven-day, will he stay or will he go uh, You know, process. Me and some buddies, I was a college kid at the time, me and some buddies went down uh, to the field house at 11:30 PM at night. And this was probably day six of, of the standoff, so to speak. And, uh, we had a bunch of, of chalk, uh, and we were going to make like, uh, you know, please stay Roy, you know, types thing things. I was like 19, 20 years old. And, um, uh, there were a ton of letters and, and posters and, and pictures that post, folks had posted all around the outskirts of the Wagner Student Athlete Center, all the way around the front of the field house. So we go down there late at night to make this, this chalk drawing as well, and there's this salt-and-pepper haired guy, probably 5'9", five, 5'10", five, in build, standing out there reading every single card at whatever time it was, probably 11 o'clock at night, and... As I get closer, I realize the salt-and-pepper hair is that of, of Roy Williams. And he knew me from my work on KJHK, but I, I said, Hey, Coach, uh, it, it's, it's Brian, one of the student announcers. And he turned around, and he had tears streaming down oh, both cheeks. Wow. He, he was reading every message, many of which were from children, drawings of crayons, and please stay, Roy, we love you, Roy, all this stuff. Uh, and and he, he was bawling. And, and he, uh, he he said hi and, and, and said in this special and, and we kept it brief. But the next day is the day he uttered those two words that, you know, made a whole football stadium rejoice. I'm staying. And, and you know, obviously from there we, we go on to a couple of more Final Fours under Coach Williams before he ultimately left. But I know there was a lot of disappointment when he left, and, and a lot of that was was buried for good after Kansas won the national title in 08, and he had the Jayhawk sticker on his shirt and all that. But uh, I think certainly time heals all. Uh, disappointments, and, and for any fans that felt jilted or left at the altar, you now look back on those 15 years with gratitude and appreciation. You see how much this place means to him and, and how much he's meant to us. And so, you know, Monday and Tuesday were great uh, having him back here and, and certainly thrilled for, uh, you know, the fact that we pulled out a win with him courtside because there was 19 and a half years in between trips to the fog for a game, and we lost that one in the last second. Who knows when he would have come back next? But <laughs> I'm glad we pulled it out, and, uh, and it was so neat to see him, and he really is a class act. I posted something on social media about how, um, you know, I've been blessed to, to cover Coach Self, Tubby Smith when I was at Texas Tech and Coach Williams before that. three guys that taught me that you can be a class act and still win in this business. You don't have to do the worst to become first. You don't have to be you know shady or treat people poorly or whatever. You can be first class and he's the first guy that ever taught me that. And, and for Kansas fans to have two coaches like that, Back to back, spanning 35 years almost, but even better individuals as humans run this program. And so uh, it, it was neat this week to kind of reflect on that and also to get to see him.
0: Do you ever think, kind of along those lines about, you know, having uh, Roy and self back to back? Do you ever think, you know, looking back, because I was a freshman in high school when Roy left and you know there was obviously a lot of anxiety and, 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 and hope that that self would would you know choose to come here because he was such a hot candidate. but do you ever look back and, and think about yourself at that age and and just think I you know no matter how much hope I had um about or anxiety I had about Roy leaving or somebody new coming it, like you couldn't have imagined that that somebody could have followed it up and have been, Arguably better, if not as good as Roy was. I mean that's that's remarkable.
1: I think you can say definitively he's been better. Um and, and the reason being is obviously he got the national championship in 08, which which is the argument ender right there. But yeah. fourteen consecutive conference titles in an era where competitiveness, you know, was was approaching an all time high within the league in terms of all the star power that came through this conference while we were winning 14 straight with Kevin Durant and Michael Beasley's and Blake Griffins of the world. I mean, it was unreal what Kansas was able to do for those 14 years. It's the greatest stretch of regular season consistency and dominance we've ever seen. Uh, in terms of, of modern-day college basketball, obviously it was, it was different back in the UCLA era. Uh, you know, you didn't have to win six to cut down nets, and recruiting was way different. Parity was way smaller. Uh, but in the modern era, it's, it's the greatest stretch we've ever seen. And when you look at uh, what would have been 8-1 seeds in a 12-year stretch had a bracket come out in 2020. I always say this, and people are sick of hearing me say this, but they should have put a bracket out. Because we would have seen for mid-major schools where coaches needed extensions because they made a tournament berth, they would have at least been able to point to that. And for teams like Kansas and Dayton that year, uh, there would have been a one seed. Like, they they deserve to be able to claim a one. Well, let's just for the sake of this argument say they were. Because we were the consensus number one team. That would have been eight one seeds in a 12-year stretch. Not quite as good as Alabama football and making the CFP almost every single year. But that's the basketball equivalent more so than anybody else can boast. Now, obviously, coach would tell you, coach self, he hasn't won as many national titles as he'd like. And right now, Roy has, you know, one more Final Four berth that Kansas himself has had. But when you look at the fourteen straight, when you look at the eight one seeds in twelve years, when you look at the national title in 08, uh, it, it has, uh, you know, surpassed what Coach Williams gave us in his fifteen years. When you look at ninety five percent home court winning percentage, guys, that's just Crazy talk, you know. He's two eighty four and fifteen in this building. That's nuts, it'll never be done again. Um, so, having said that, Coach Williams was unreal too. And I think the point you're getting at, Adam, is nobody could have fathomed he would back that up and, and you know be able to follow that act as good as we were, and yet he has. And, and I think I just gave you a pretty convincing argument as to how he's he's even bested it. And Here's the, here's the real truth. I mean, we're not too far from him surpassing Fog Allen and becoming the winningest coach of all time in Kansas basketball history. And I think that's something that will mean something to Coach Self uh, when he gets there. And so uh, we're, we're stinking lucky that it worked out the way it did. And, and we had you know the absolute home run hire of home run hires on the heels of having to replace a home run hire. You know, Bob Frederick hiring Roy Williams when he was an assistant for North Carolina – is, is obviously a bigger leap than hiring Bill Self when he's already produced so much in Illinois and, and Tulsa and Oral Roberts before it. Um, but in both cases, it was a grand slam, knock-it-out-of-the-park home run. And I think back to other places I've been or schools I've covered from afar that have missed on hires. Think about KU football. You know, it have missed repeatedly on certain hires until we got it right here late with Lance Leipold. Um, you know, if KU didn't make that, that perfect decision, who knows? But there's a reason why this place has only had eight head coaches in its illustrious history, and why other places like where I used to be employed, I had four different basketball coaches in, in four and a half years down in Lubbock. Uh, Now, Tubby Smith was there for three, let's be clear. There was an interim coach. and Billy Gillespie left early, and Chris Beard came in. But, I mean, other places have fluctuation. Kansas has been very impressive in their decision-making at at those posts and a little bit fortuitous, too, that things have worked out the way they have. But to have two guys sit in that chair over the last 34 years and both be Hall of Famers and Hall of Fame humans, we're doing pretty dang good, aren't
2: we? That is absolutely right, and we'll see if that can uh, continue on Saturday and add another win to the belt of Bill Self. I do want to ask you a question before we let you go. We've uh, pretty much coming against it with time, but real quickly, uh, KU taking on West Virginia tomorrow 1 o'clock, pregame at 11.30 here on KLWN. What is it you're going to be looking out for uh, in that one in another uh, fun matchup between Bill Self and Bob Huggins?
1: You know, eventually Huggy's going to get one here, and and I hope it's not tomorrow. Uh, He's come so close so many times, but they're 0 and 9 in this building since joining the league. And you know, I, I think back to obviously the best of all of them was the 14 point comeback down. 14 with 2.45 to go, and Devontae's throwing in threes, and it ends up being this miraculous 2017 game we'll never forget. I'm doing this interview from inside my office at KU, and I've got a, a canvas on my wall of self-hugging Devontae and a picture of us as a crew after the game, and just thinking back to how special that day was. There was another day, you'd have to look up the exact number, but we had like 35 free-throw attempts to there, too. And, and Coach Huggins was up in arms over the officiating. One day, he called officials here, three blind mice. Uh, He's had had all kinds of memorable moments, and I have so much respect for him. I mean, third winning as coach uh, behind Coach K and and Coach Beheim, and and absolutely Hall of Fame caliber as well. And so, eventually, you'd think he's going to get one here. It could be tomorrow. They've got the firepower to do it with Taz Sherman and and McNeil, who's capable of throwing in five or six threes on any given night. But I do think Kansas is going to come out locked in, and I think we got a great shot to win this one, and and uh, you know start to build a little bit of momentum as we head down to Norman on Tuesday. So uh, the firepower on the wings uh, is what concerns me the most. The Hall of Fame coach on the sideline and how good he's been in this building in losses concerns me, and by that I mean yes, zero and nine, but there have been some real close calls. But hopefully Kansas can hold serve yet again, and uh, you know hopefully we'll see these Jayhawks jump into the, the top of the league race. The only reason we're not tied for first right now is because we haven't played as many games as some of the teams in front of us with the TCU game getting postponed. But we're right in the thick of it and uh Saturday would be a big step in staying there.
2: He is the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney. Brian, thank you so much for the time as always, man.
1: Hey, always a pleasure to be on with you guys and certainly uh appreciate the chance to talk about my buddy Nate Miller. Just like the Jayhawks need a game plan to take down Bob Huggins in West Virginia tomorrow, you too need a game plan for your retirement and your investments as you enter that chapter of your life. So check out my buddy Nate Miller and the Miller Retirement Group at MillerRetirementGroup.com today, and they'll be more than happy to, to take a look at your portfolio and get you on solid ground heading into retirement. Guys, as always, have a wonderful weekend and we'll look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks again, Brian. Appreciate it.
2: Cue the disclaimer. Brian is a paid spokesperson, not a client. Brian does not endorse and all individuals should make their own evaluation of the firm's investment advisory and insurance services. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC. All right. That was Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, joins us here on Fridays on Rock Shock Sports Talk. One hour down. Two to go. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Shock Sports Talk. Four o'clock hour, you're listening to Rock Shock Sports Talk here on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. We're going to have Josh Briscoe join the show in 35 minutes from right now, talk some Chiefs with their wild card game ahead, taking on the Steelers on Sunday Night Football. Um, We've also got some Bill Self audio to get for you, and we're out early today, about 520, As we're going to scoot out of the way for coverage of Lawrence High basketball. They're taking on Mill Valley on the road uh, tonight. Girls game at 5.30. Men's game or boys game at uh, 7 o'clock right here on KLWN. Adam just took off for that game, by the way. He'll be on the call for Craig Hershizer. So I I have his game picks. That's what we're going to do here. Game picks for the week. Um, I will read them off to you and give you my explanation of why I'm picking mine. So college football, we're done. Adam finished 37-24. and I finished 40 and 47, so he took the cake there on the college football front. Overall, he is 82-59 and 2. I am 92-84 and 2. In the NFL, Adam went 0-5 last week, but he still got a really good record: 40 and 34. I went 3 and 2 last week. I'm 52 and 37. The first game tomorrow is Las Vegas taking on Cincinnati. The Bengals are giving up five and a half points. Adam is picking Cincinnati, giving up the five and a half. He said. He could see this end up being a great game. He could see this end up being a high-scoring game, but he likes the Bengals to cover this. I've gone back and forth on this spread. Cincinnati hasn't won a playoff game in a really long time, so this game is going to mean a lot to them, and I don't think they're going to overlook Las Vegas because of that. So I'm going to take Cincinnati minus the 5.5. Raiders are coming off a super emotional high, and I get it. It's the playoffs, so you're able to ramp that up a lot easier than if this were than if if that Chargers game was followed by another regular season game. That's just going to be tough to come off of. You're probably a little more tired. You're on a short week because you're playing on Saturday to begin with and you had the Sunday night game and it went to overtime. I like Cincinnati in this one, minus the five and a half. Joe Burrow goes off. I have the Bengals going to the AFC Championship game, so I'll go Cincinnati there. New England is at Buffalo. The Bills are giving up four points in this game. Adam likes New England. Um, he mentioned the cold weather, how that had such an impact in the first game that these two teams played. And he likes New England in this one, the the better defense, the better running team to cover the spread at the very least. I like Buffalo in this one. I just think they're a better team. Now, it's not going to be snowing. It's just going to be really cold. It might be kind of windy, but I don't think it's going to be like 50-mile-per-hour winds like it was last time that they played in Buffalo. I think the second time these teams met in Foxborough, Buffalo showed, like, we are just the better team. And the Josh Allen difference is is pretty sizable. Rookie quarterbacks have not fared well in the playoffs, as I mentioned yesterday. Um, now, they have won games before, and there have been teams who have, you know, with rookie quarterbacks, even gone to, like, the AFC Championship, for instance. Joe Flacco, Mark Sanchez. And they've done it based on having a really good defense and, and running game around them. And the Patriots have that. So they do have the insulation you're looking for to make that work, I just I, I don't see it coming together against a really good quarterback in Josh Allen. I'll take Buffalo. Philadelphia is at Tampa Bay. The Buccaneers are giving them eight and a half. Adam likes Philadelphia mainly because of how banged up Tampa Bay is, and they are banged up. Obviously, Antonio Brown no longer with the team. Um, Chris Godwin out for the season. They still have Mike Evans though, who's who's a really good running or receiver, but no Leonard Fournette. He was playoff Lenny last year, right? I uh I like the Buccaneers here though I it's hard for me to see the Eagles doing enough offensively against what is a good Buccaneers defense and is a really good Buccaneers defense against the run Philadelphia has has changed up their offense a little to more morph into Jalen hurts and they've been more of a run first offense and it's worked against bad teams they've had a, a solid defense and a good running game it's working against bad teams Hasn't really helped them against some of the better teams in the league. I think because Tampa Bay has that defense that can shut down the running game, I just have a hard time seeing Philadelphia scoring enough points to keep this close. Combine that with playoff Tom Brady. I see the Buccaneers kind of just blowing this one out of, uh, not like a complete blow, but, you know, 34 to 17 or something like that. So I, I like the uh, Bucks to cover this one pretty simply. San Francisco is at Dallas in a game of two rivals from the 80s and 90s. Dallas has given up three points here. I was honestly surprised this line was as low as it was. Adam likes Dallas. I like Dallas. I just think Dallas is a really good team. I have Dallas in the NFC Championship game. I'm not that sold on San Francisco's quarterback situation. They're good in a lot of other areas, and I think it's a good season for them to get back into the playoffs. Dallas just has more playmakers. Dallas just has the better quarterback. I like the Cowboys to move on minus three points. Pittsburgh at Kansas City. Chiefs are giving up a lot of points. They're giving up 12 and a half in this one. And me and Adam both like Pittsburgh. Now, I've said I like Kansas City to win the game. And I think that it's hard for me outside of the Chiefs just having a, you know, we missed three field goals and had three turnovers or something. It's hard for me envisioning how the Steelers win this game outside of that Chiefs blow up. But the Steelers still do have a good pass rush, and pretty much this is fully dependent on this. How patient will the Chiefs' offense be? How many adjustments will the Steelers' defense make from last time? And then will the Chiefs' defense that plays all this man-to-man coverage, it was really good and it locked down the Steelers' passing game last time. It might do that again this time. I think it will to a certain extent because they just haven't been good really this year but I'm not a, like I could see the Steelers scoring 17 this time instead of 10 and I could see the defense holding the Chiefs to 24 points or to 27 points or something like that I, I think this will be a closer game than it was last time even though you do have Travis Kelsey back now I'll take the Steelers to cover the spread I think it's closer to a 10 point game so I'll take the 12 and a half for Pittsburgh but I do like Kansas City to win straight up last one for the NFL Arizona at the L.A. Rams. Um, Adam likes the Rams giving up the four points. That's what they're giving up here. I like Arizona, and I'm going to go so far. So I I had been doing locks of the week. I'd only been doing college games. I went 14-5, and five, so the locks of the week were doing pretty good. Obviously, I have no college games this week, so I'm going to double down here. I'm going to make this Arizona plus four, the lock of the week. Arizona is 8-1 and one on the road this year. They're on the road here. Now, no DeAndre Hopkins, and certainly they struggled toward the end of the season, and that's a big reason why the line is the way it is. I just there's something about this team on the road. They've they've gone six and zero covering the spread the last six road games. In fact, they're six and zero as uh, just straight up in the game. In their last six games as road underdogs. So I like Arizona to cover the spread. They don't even necessarily have to win this. He can lose by field goal in what has been a close division between two close teams. You have Matthew Stafford, who I do think is a good quarterback, but he still never won a playoff game. So it's not like we have all this evidence that Matthew Stafford is going to be this elite postseason quarterback. I like Arizona plus four so much so I'm locking it up as well. That's all we got this week for game picks. No college football. Uh, didn't see any college basketball lines with, with KU West Virginia or anything like that. Josh Briscoe will talk more Chiefs with us in about 30 minutes from right now. But coming up next, Bill Self spoke with the media earlier today. We'll let you hear his comments on the other side. This is RCST. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com. Depend on it. Joined now by Josh Briscoe of Almost Entirely Sports on 810, uh, Arrowhead Report on SI Now, Times R's on the Athletic, and the Chiefs take on the Steelers on Sunday Night Football in the Wild Card Round. Last time we saw these two teams meet up, wasn't too long ago. The Chiefs won 36 to 10 in that first iteration, and on top of that, they didn't even have Travis Kelsey. So, I, I mean, I don't know. It's it's very hard to see the Steelers pulling an upset here, knowing how much their offense has struggled, especially. Um, is it as simple as for the Chiefs to lose this game? Something disastrous with like turnovers or something like that has to happen? Or is there like actually a real scenario out there that isn't just the Chiefs imploding?
3: That's kind of the thing, man. Like That's really kind of the, the motto of this week is, is twofold. One is that it's a very weird vibe for a playoff game because of everything you just laid out there the other thing is, well, okay, what would it take for the Steelers to win this game? And I've been asking people on on almost private sports this week and talked about it on Times I keep asking people that I I respect in football to tell me their best case for the Steelers winning this game. And no one has given me an answer that they believed in. Not a single person. The the one thing that I would say, though, if I was going to build that case, I have to answer that question for myself. You've already nailed it. There would have to be an implosion, not just like we saw earlier in the year at times from the Chiefs, but even worse than that. Because some of the things that, you know, the, 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 the crack in the wall, if you will, of, of the Chiefs' defenses is those self-inflicted wounds. And you've seen them lose to some good teams who have taken advantage of those. But to be honest, I just don't think the Steelers are good enough to take care, uh, to, to take advantage of of even, I don't know, three or four big mistakes. Like I, The Bengals were able to do it with a couple. Um, we, we certainly can go back earlier in the year and find the mistakes they made against the Ravens and the Bills and the Titans, and, and you can see where good teams take advantage of that. I just don't hope the Steelers are one of those good teams. I mean, I, uh, to be honest, I don't really think that they are. Well, it's like I can
2: envision in my head, oh, TJ Watt had a strip sack and, and the Steelers right? got the ball, but then it's like, oh, they kicked the field goal after doing it. Like, it's, just, it's just very hard to see it, and, and I guess where I am kind of at is, is it even worth discussing like a situation where, Oh, the chiefs could this happen? Because we have seen, you know, issues where they have kind of imploded on, on certain plays of dropping passes that turn in interceptions or, or making a dumb play or something, but uh, to happen enough for this game to be a loss, just feels like, I, I don't even know if it's worth the discussion of, well, could they lose the game? Because if they do lose the game by an implosion then it's it's like you know i i don't want to when we're talking about weather or something be like and you never know an asteroid could right. hit the earth today
3: right yeah cause it, it's hard to cause I, you know i'm part of it like you know we got to fill the time right we got to talk about this yeah. game. So how are we going to talk about it but I, I also think that you're right like if, if our analysis is only you know well wild stuff happens sometimes that's not very worthwhile to us or to the listeners or whatever right like that's that's kind of useless analysis on some level, but I, I do think it's useful in so far as that is the, the microcosm, which we can view this game through. This is that type of, of lopsided right now. And, and maybe, I don't know, maybe if, I, if I'm going to skip ahead to Monday and they have lost this game, maybe we go, wow, did we not learn anything from that Broncos game? Like, they they were kind of a little bit of a drowsy-looking team in that game, and we just assumed they could flip it back on, or maybe they weren't as locked into that game as they needed to be. We assumed that that was a choice or that that was something that would change come playoff time. Maybe it won't be. Maybe that's the thing to say, hey, you know what? If you want to just look at what they've looked like, not the last two games even, because I think if they played the game they played against the Bengals, they beat the Steelers by a wide margin. But look at the Broncos game. If that exact team shows up and plays the exact same way against the Steelers, then there's there's a much better chance than the Asteroids that they lose the game on Sunday. I just think it's really unlikely that that version of the team shows
1: up.
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. It's not that far away that you do have that game. Um, so in his career, Patrick Mahomes, almost 80% of his passes have been completed. Nine touchdowns, no interceptions in games against the Steelers. Uh, what is it about the Steelers? The, the style of play that has kind of made Mahomes so great and uh, are you expecting it just to be the same this game because I, I do think Mike Tomlin is a really good head coach but also we've seen you know it's it's not like the defense is just going to completely change what they do
3: yeah I and mean, I think that's always a part of the conversation around the Chiefs offense right Is like you know how how much are they going to be the aggressors and how much are they going to react to what a defense does and that's true for you you know, every unit in football, I guess on, on one level or another, but yeah, I mean, I, I can, I can look at any like scope or stretch of Patrick Mahomes and go, Hey, you know what? All these, all of these things look pretty good. And I would say that's, that's probably more of a, uh, a result of how excellent Patrick Mahomes has been. That it is an indictment on any opponent or any stretch of time or, any month, you know, you you get fun Patrick Mahomes stats anywhere you slice them, and and I think that's more about Patrick Mahomes than than sort of the uh, differentiating circumstance, whatever that makes him look similar. If that makes any sense?
2: Yeah, I, I'm honestly as as far as like the X's and O's of this game, or, or just like what specifically happens. I'm expecting the Chiefs' offense to do well, but I I don't know if it'll be as easy. As the last game just because of those adjustments even though you do have Travis Mm -hmm. Kelsey but I'm very curious from a defensive side of the ball because um, from the way the Chiefs have played defense with a lot of this man coverage and it it kind of burned you in in the Bengals game or specifically Mm -hmm. mainly on that third and 27 and and not given help with Jamar Chase Um, and then in the Broncos game I don't know you could convince yourself that yeah like Broncos have a really good receiving core too so that's gonna make it uh, more difficult um, when you have Jerry Judy and Tim Patrick and, and Cortland Sutton, like, again, pretty good receiving core. Uh, with the Steelers, the first time that they played, Chase Claypool did make a couple of contested catches. Um, Deontay Johnson is is a good slot receiver, but he has uh, a lot of drops. And now Juju Smith-Schuster uh, could be back in the fold for this game. So that's, you know, pretty good receiving core. But again, you pretty much shut them down last time. Now the big difference is you don't really have that Elite quarterback. In fact, Ben Roethlisberger has not been playing well. Um, are, are you kind of expecting the same thing from the defense? Are you expecting them to kind of stick with this man-to-man throughout the playoffs? And and uh, do you, I? I guess I don't know. Like how how many adjustments do you think there's going to be from the regular season to the postseason?
3: I think you'll see adjustments week to week, but in the particulars of, of the Steelers, you're right. Like This is three weeks in a row where we're talking about the Chiefs and different types of performances against really good receivers. The Bengals have them, the Broncos have them, and the Steelers have them also. Uh, I'd be surprised if Juju's actually out there, but him returning to practice is certainly noteworthy. But the the difference here, it was was the same thing as the difference last week. Drew Locke got Jerry Judy late in the game, but he also missed him on that first drive. And and if that's Joe Burrow making that throw, that's probably another completion. And maybe the tone of the the game changes sooner because you go, oh, bleep, you know, we're knocked back on our heels a little bit here because we didn't expect them to make that throw. For the Steelers in particular, maybe Roethlisberger hit one or two of those, but I think we're going to see more misses than hits in the you know deep shot down the boundary type of thing. I do think that is a legitimate place of, of weakness and concern because that is a that is a, a built in risk factor whenever you blitz like the Chiefs do. And and they've been very good doing that. I don't think you're going to see that go away ever, really. Um, but I do think that kind of keeping an eye on what that evolution might look like for this team over the course of the, the playoffs will be interesting. But I also think that it, for, for the grand majority of it, Spag's going to be spags. And I, I, think, I think that's going to be the, the, the most recurring theme. With some adjustments. Like he's not – I don't think he's a – stubborn buffoon or anything, but he, he has his bread and butter, and he, I think that will always be the base of it.
2: Yeah, I think it's it's less prevalent for this game, but maybe more prevalent for, for what occurs, which, which brings me to my next question. Uh, assuming the Chiefs can beat the Steelers on Sunday, which again, you know, crazy things can happen, but if they do beat yep. the Steelers, um, they play Buffalo if they beat New England, but if Buffalo mm-hmm. loses to New England, they play the winner of Cincinnati or Las Vegas. If you're power-ranking the best matchup to the worst matchup for those three teams that they could possibly play in the division round if they win, Buffalo, Cincinnati, Las Vegas, I'm assuming number one is obviously going to be Las Vegas based on the results. Uh, So what would be the more ideal matchup beyond that between Buffalo or Cincinnati, and which one would, I think, be a a worse matchup between the two? First of all,
3: you're totally right about the Raiders. Um, It would be hilarious if the Chiefs to get to the uh, AFC Championship game had to beat two teams that they outscored by a total of, like, 80 (laughs) points or whatever it was this year in those three games. Uh, So that would be funny and certainly would be the best option. I would rather see the Bengals again than see the Bills again Um, between those two. I think both of them would have a legitimate, like, good chance to beat the Chiefs. I also think the Chiefs would be favored in both of those games. They'd both be at Arrowhead. They'd they'd both be, you know – uh, a, a rematch with a team they'd lost to previously, but it wouldn't surprise me one iota if they were to lose either of those games. I do think that they're in a better position though, the both of those teams and for everything that we just saw a couple of weeks ago and everything we've talked about over these last couple of weeks, I, I do think, you know, this, this is again, exclusively the limits of the loser, but like the refereeing in the Bengals game mattered. It had an impact. It's not the reason the game went the way that it did, but you can't tell the story of that game without acknowledging the referee. Well, you get. let's say you just get more normal refereeing. Well, let's say you get the Bengals in a situation where you are not um, absolutely mossed on third and 27, a, a situation where a couple of those key penalties don't continue Bengals' drives or even just games where the Chiefs play a little bit cleaner. Not all those penalties were totally phantom. They, they earned their share of them as well. I think that they beat the Bengals again in that rematch seven out of 10 times or something. And it might be five out of 10 or or six out of 10 against the bills. I'm a little more afraid of the absolute dynamicism of Josh Allen. He he might have a lower floor in a bad game. They could lose to the Patriots and it would not surprise me in their negative a million degree weather, whatever. But, (laughs) I, I would rather see the Chiefs get the rematch with the Bengals from a Chiefs advantage standpoint, um, but I think Chiefs-Bills would, would be the more uh, the more fun game. They'd both be a blast, though. And if it's the Raiders, that's by far the worst of the matchups from a you know viewership standpoint, but it's by far the most hilarious of the matchups from a, uh, a Chiefs standpoint.
2: Yeah, so either way, win-win. Um, all right, win-win. We're, we're with Josh Briscoe. Of almost entirely sports times ours on the athletic and Arrowhead Report on SI. Now, are you ready for another edition of Good Idea, Bad Idea?
3: I love this game, and you know it.
2: All right, let's do it. Uh, retaining Frank Clark if he has a great postseason. I'm talking like, uh, I don't know, they could play four games if they they go to the Super Bowl. Seven sacks in four games.
3: Right. Uh, it, here's here's why it's still a bad idea. It's it, it, his salary at 26 million dollars next year is is unsustainable. And that's not, there. there's not a good way to really lower that cap hit by a ton because $7 million of that is a prorated roster bonus. It's going to be there regardless. So I think it's probably still a bad idea. I think that if you're going to make that judgment based off of just like a few games once again, I think you probably still get bit by that. I think his time in Kansas City is is probably over after this run regardless, not even because of his play this year. He's been pretty good. For a large chunk of this year, but for his cap hit,
1: Jet
2: McKinnon and Daryl Williams playing receiver snaps on Sunday. Good idea, bad idea?
3: Um, you mean like actually split out wide at the at the snap? Yeah, I would say I would say good idea for McKinnon, probably bad idea for Daryl Williams. But I, I do think that. To some extent, it depends on if you're dragging a linebacker out there, right? But you, you can lose some of the matchup advantages and some of the defensive uncertainty, I think, by by bringing your your, your back straight out into the slot. Again, if they're motioned out of the backfield and end up out there, then, then maybe you still find a matchup that you like. But I, I would say predominantly those guys stay in the backfield.
2: Triple teaming TJ Watt to make sure he doesn't get a big strip sack or injure Patrick Mahomes.
3: You, I I, it might be a good idea, but it's not an idea the Chiefs are going to do because they just don't like to help their tackles very much. Uh, <laughs> even with Andrew Wiley being the guy on the right side right now, with, with Yang and Rimmers both you know unheard from as of late, Yang out for the year, Rimmers is on IR, but could be back, but hasn't been that's the whole deal, um, but I, I think that it's it's gonna maybe you're gonna get yourself a little chip help. Maybe you can get Blake Bell over there for a little bit, but it's just not something the Chiefs do very much of. So it might be a good idea to just have you know four of your five linemen all blocking <laughs> TJ Watt. But it's also it's also a pretty good defensive line across the board as well. So um, you know I'm gonna say I'm gonna say lightly bad idea.
2: The Chiefs turning Arrowhead into a dome and becoming an indoor football team. Good idea. Bad idea.
3: I, I think this is a great idea. I, I really do. Um, there was that talk years ago about, like, the retractable rolling yeah. roof. I don't, I don't remember what the specifics of that would have been. It, there's some strange – I don't know. I don't know if that it's was so a ridiculous. I, it I was going to go
2: over Kauffman and everything, too.
3: Saying, it, was the whole thing that it could roll over both – that feels like a lot. That feels like a big idea. Um, but, yeah, I, I actually think it would be good for the current iteration of the Chiefs for them to not have to actually play football outside. Uh, and then also you can get, you know, more consistent turf and, and grass quality and everything. Although it seems like the grounds crew at Arrowhead does do an excellent job. It's some pictures of that uh, yesterday or two days ago. Uh, but I'd, I'd totally be fine with it. Uh, I imagine that lots of people wouldn't be, and it would be extremely expensive.
2: I am pro retractable roof. So then you can adjust yeah. it if you, you know, in 20 years, Mahomes is gone. You're, you're a power run team or something or a right. team. You can open the roof, you know, and, and change up with the conditions. Okay, last one I got for you playing football with Viagra. Good idea, bad idea. I mean, it's
3: a great idea, man. <laughs> I, I, I think Bart Scott clearly has shared some wisdom with all of us, and I think that we all know for an absolute fact now that Josh Allen this weekend is going to be hard mm. to bring down in the pocket. And I just think that that's a really important part <laughs> of this game, and uh, that's my very serious football analysis.
2: Well, there you go. I think we could uh, really put the emphasis in Big Ben. That's for sure.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, also, he you know, he's up there in years. There's a chance that that might be a performance enhancing drug, but he's ready for it. Hard
2: to say. Allegedly. All right. uh, he's Josh Briscoe. <laughs> almost entirely sports. Arrowhead report on SI Now. Time's ours on The Athletic. Josh, thank you so much for the time as always, man.
3: Anytime. Hopefully we'll talk to you again soon and not about the most shocking playoff loss in Chiefs history.
2: <laughs> That's right. Josh, thanks again. Absolutely. All right. That was Josh Briscoe joins us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, klwn.com. Depend on it.